Welcome to the Dirtbag Chronicles. My name is Brian. I am your host. Today we have an exciting guest today. His name is Michael. He's going to be telling his story and sharing his experiences with you guys. So, you know, we're really excited to have him on. Michael, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, I'm from Gravel Ridge, Arkansas. Okay. Uh, I live in Cabot now uh, with my fiance Kim. And I work for the Lono County Sheriff's Office. Okay. I'm also a suicide responder for We Are the 22. Okay. What do you do for the Lono uh, Sheriff's Office? We offer like an alternative sentencing program, um, which is really phenomenal. We're having great success. But um, for the guys that's been down to prison multiple times mm-hmm. and, um, you know, with drug-related offenses, we got to find another way to help these people. Clearly, prison is not working. Yeah. So we like to, and I like to use uh, as a program is we got to stop pulling people up out of the river and start going upstream, see why they're falling in. Yeah. And when we, when we start doing that, we, we start looking at the, the traumas that was, none of us woke up in the morning and said, I want to be a junkie or an alcoholic. (laughs) I know that's right. So clearly prison's not working. So we offer an alternative sentencing program. It's a year long. And uh, for the first four months, they'll be housed in the Lono County Sheriff's Office jail. Okay. We provide multiple pathways. There's not a one size fits all recovery program. Uh, N-A-A-A-C-R, faith-based, we, we try to get it all mixed in. And what, whatever best fits your needs that mm-hmm. you're at. And the um, first four months will be there, and then we'll try, we require them to go to, well, I don't, the county does require them to go to the uh, phase two portion of it, which is a long-term transitional living. And really, we, we've we've done this getting out of success from you know, it's trial and error type bill since we started this, and we've realized that Four months is not a miracle program. Yeah. And to do years and years of packed addiction and trauma. So um, we require them to go to a transitional living because they have fines. Most of them will get suspended driver's license. And if me being in prison coming out, one of the hardest battles we have is just trying to start out on even ground. Yeah. And when you're starting out with thousands of dollars in fines and suspended driver's license, it's hard to. Yeah, that's, you know, that's some motherfucker. Yeah, it's really yeah. hard. It's like so, setting us up for failure. Absolutely. Right? So yeah. we found our success better is to require them to go. And if, you know, we have a lot of hurdles, if you're on parole, you have to go to an ACC accredited place. Yeah. Some of the battles we're fighting right now is <clears throat> majority of these ACC accredited places have more drugs in them than they do on the street. I know that's right. So we are very cautious and guarded about where we send these guys and girls to because we don't want to set them up for failure. Yeah. We like to use Jimmy McGill's place. If you're on parole for the guys, go up there and they get great jobs. They you go know, opportunity to pay your yeah. fines off, get your driver's license back. So when you do get out, you start out on even ground. Yeah, and we're seeing a better success rate on that. So yeah, right yeah. now, it's sixty four percent success rate. That's awesome. That, that, what, what is that rate again? Sixty four percent. That's incredible. Yes, that's incredible. It's phenomenal, man. Because it uh, when I'm seeing these. You know, the great thing about working there is I've been to prison three times, twice at Alonoke County. Oh, wow. So when I'm seeing there, when I'm there, I'm seeing a lot of people I was in addiction with, or yeah. a lot of people I've known. And yeah. I, I might have to brag on somebody real quick. Um, one of the first girls that graduated our program when we, when we in, incorporated the women in the program, she is 41 years old and just now got her driver's license for the first time in her life. That is awesome. That is years, awesome. Yeah. Years and years of driving on, uh, she got being yeah. suspended driver's license. She didn't even have a license. Yeah. Thousands of dollars yeah. of fines. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If for the fact for the first time, if it had not been for recovery and the people standing behind her and believing her, 
she would have never even took her yeah. driver's license. And that those are the things we're looking for. Those are the metrics of success we're yeah. we're looking into. So yeah. Yeah, we're saying I'm it. sure the people that have been through that much uh of the system, let's say, okay, let's use that. Uh, you know, they they don't know how to do any of this. And so they're I'm sure they're a little intimidated on how to go about this Love and everything. Me. So I'm sure you know, that program alone offers some great resources for them. So the great, great thing I love about it so much is that they're not just another number. Of course, we've been to yeah. prison. We know the programs they have in prison is a joke. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But now they're not even doing groups anymore. Now they're just mailing it to you in the mail and you take this little yeah. survey and then they say, okay, you get a certificate. Yeah. But that's a joke. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So this is the first program I've seen that once you be sentenced to it and you complete your time in jail, we will stay and remain in your life and be your biggest cheerleaders until you graduate. Even after you graduate, we're still there. That's so awesome. every 30 days we're meeting with them, we're doing goal settings, we're doing things that help them out, get them prepared for whatever they're doing. And just that basic peer-to-peer -peer intervention, man, just yeah. talking with them, staying in their life, being their biggest cheerleaders, yeah. it's, it's great success. Yeah, because, you know, that's where that's where I see a lot of people uh, fall short is after the program. Like, they, you know, just like me, like I did great in all my programs. I did great in prison, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? But when I got out, it was like everything that I had just gave and sacrificed and done and learned is like all that shit just went out the window yeah. and then it's like okay so what do i do so you know that is what is what i've found very important is to have those resources after you graduate right. the program because that's where the real test comes you know that's where you know i i, I use the analogy because i was in re-entry and we had an ankle monitor on and when they cut that ankle monitor off, it was like, I'm fucking free, man. It's like, <laughs> I'm a dog off the leash. You yeah. know? And when you let a dog off the leash, what does it do? It just runs wild. Yep. It's like, woo, freedom. And so if, if, I have, if I had no accountability after that, like, and, and that's where my, my epiphany came in. It was like, shit, I got I to gotta do something. Like, I got to have somebody to hold me accountable right. and, and tell me what to do because I really – you know, even though I just went through this whole program, like I still don't know what the fuck I'm supposed right. to be doing. Right. So that's yeah. a people, places, and things, man. Yeah. You know, I know I, I remember early in my recovery hearing this all the time. You know, yeah. the longer I stay in this recovery, I, everything starts to make more sense to me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But uh, people, places, and things, man, four month program, sending them back to the environment, which got them there in the first yeah. place is not conducive yeah. for anybody. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So we're talking about people who didn't even stand a chance, people getting high with their mom and daddies, brothers and sisters. Yeah getting high and with their, you know, significant others and stuff like that. Going back into that's a mess, man. So yeah. we like to get them out of their neck of the woods, out of their neighborhood, put them somewhere else. And yeah. a lot of the guys that are in our program has finally said, Hey, I see what my problem was. I can't go back there. Right. Now they're setting up shop up in Clarksville or somewhere else around the state yeah. and they're doing phenomenal. Yeah. I'm just, it's outstanding. So. Yeah. Cause they've surrounded themselves with like-minded people yeah. doing like-minded things. And they realize yeah. uh, a trigger for them is to go back in there and see that. And, you know, triggers can be set off by a smell, by a song, yeah. by driving past somewhere yeah. I used to get high at. Yeah. I mean, going to Walmart and seeing somebody, those are all triggers. Yeah. And, you know, what are you going to do to prepare yourself for that? Right. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I had a trigger the other day with order Domino's. And like it triggered me with Xanax, like because I used to eat so many, so much Xanax, and then just munch on Domino's. And I looked at, it, I was like, "Oh, it just made me sick." Yeah, man. Yeah, man. You know, but and that's the time that you know I can call somebody or talk to somebody mm -hmm. and be like, "Dude, like it, it, it didn't make me want to use, but it gave me that feeling." Yeah. And like as a drug addict, like 
I mean, hell, when I see the bottom of a, 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 a spray, a hairspray can, I get triggered, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, absolutely, man. <laughs> but it's how I deal with that now. And, and, you know, I've really changed the way that I think about it now because I used to think about it and be like, oh, where's the dope? But now I think about it, I'm like, oh. And that's the beautiful know? thing recovery yeah. brings right yeah, there. absolutely. That's the beautiful thing because we would act on, without even hesitating, we'd think of just out of, out of habit, out of, out of just, that's what we did. Yeah. You know, our mind would go to that and that's what we, or, or might we obsess on that? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Today, when you get recovery, you get enough time to stand back and be like, mm, yeah. let's play this tape so we'll yeah. see what it's going through. This yeah. is where it got me last time. That, yeah. That's what, that is true freedom right there. Yeah, it really is. I tell the guys in jail, I'm like, look, you know, and I see them when they come in off the streets and man, it's just, just a constant reminder why I'm, I'm where I'm doing today. And when I see them and as I'm working with them and as the weeks go by, you see that fog being lifted, that they're coming back to reality. They're seeing things for what it really is, yeah. right? And I say, today, you have the opportunity to go back out and get high. Yeah. And that's freedom. Yeah. Because when I was out there on the streets, I didn't have no choice. I had to. That monkey on my back was a silver bag yeah. gorilla. You yeah. hear me? <laughs> and it was mean. It yeah. was not playing. But I had no choice whether or not to get high on it. Today, yeah. I have that choice, that freedom. Yeah. I'm talking yeah. true freedom I'm talking about yeah. is where I want to go back out and get high again. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. So I love that. I love that. Let's jump into a little bit about your story, okay? okay. Uh, because I'm sure that there's going to be, you're a veteran, right? Correct. So I'm sure that there's veterans out there that could really hear your experience and, and what you went through. And how you got out of that. Mm-hmm. And so I do want to, I want you to share your message of hope, you know, and, and take that into consideration while you're, while you're sharing that, uh, that there's somebody out there that needs to hear this. Yeah. Um, so tell, tell us a little bit how it all started. Well, I was a, this one. I was a, I was a kid, uh, grew up in Gravel Ridge. Everything was good. Um, I was raised out of, I come from a middle-class family. My dad was a registered nurse practitioner. My stepmom was a teacher and a principal. So, I mean, but it was very dysfunctional, very dysfunctional. And, uh, I think probably when I was probably about kindergarten, my dad from a previous marriage had three other kids that moved in with us. I knew nothing about. Oh, wow. And that's really when all the crazy things started coming at the house. You know what I mean? And it was like, I can vividly remember. If I had to put an analogy on it, it was like a full house type family. You know what I'm saying? My, my dad and stepmom would read the stories going to bed and, you know, all this crazy stuff. But it's like, as soon as they moved in, everything went to hell in a handbasket. Right yeah. There. They were sniffing gas. They were drinking. They were smoking. How old were they when they moved in? So they were probably, probably in their teens. Okay. How old were you? Well, I know. I'll say my brother is, he's only a few, he's about He's six years older than me, so probably about 12, 13, because I was probably about six when I was when they yeah. moved in. But, uh, man, it was just, it was a very confusing time in my life. I was raised in fear. Um, I was scared to stand up for myself, say anything. There was a lot of abuse, physical abuse that was happening when I was a kid. Yeah. And uh, then the sexual molestation started happening. And, you know, deep down, I knew this wasn't right. Yeah. I didn't want to say nothing. And, uh, so a lot of my problems happened then. So I say all the time, like, uh, someone, you know, when you take your ACE test, you know what I'm saying? It yeah. said I was 11 times greater to be an intravenous user when I got older and it was, it's pretty spot on. Yeah. But you know, when we're young and we, we experience a lot of trauma like that. We have 
a problem processing things. Yeah. And when we don't know how to process things, we suppress them. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. So as I was suppressing them through the years, um, I just became used to it. Like this is how it's supposed to be. And that's not how it's supposed to be. But I had a tough time expressing myself, had a tough time standing up for myself. I was raised in fear and I was scared all the time uh, as a child. A lot of physical abuse. Of course, I did a lot of crazy stuff too. I mean, I'm not saying I'm the victim, but. Right, right, right. um, you know, I wasn't getting the attention I wanted at home. I starved and craved for everybody's approval. And like, I, I can remember just wanting to please everybody and everyone liked me as a friend, as a kid. Yeah. And I, I think that really bled into my adult life, into my later years of selling yeah. drugs. But um, so uh, as I got older, uh, being abused, uh, my dad, I think he's been married three, four times. The stepmother raised me. They divorced, um, went on their separate ways. Uh, my mother, my biological mother, she left me when I was about 18 months old, me and my little brother, Nathan. And she called out of the blue one night and it's like at 10 30 at night, totally rando. Yeah. Like, Hey, I'm your mom. You know what I'm saying? It kind of just blew me off. So as a child, I was growing up, I was always wondering what this other side of me was. I suffered from major depression, suicide precautions. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had been through Turning Point, all these children's hospital places, all, all mm-hmm. those places. And it was just, I finally learned to know what I needed to say when I needed to say it. And I was never, I was just telling people what they wanted to hear to get them off my ass. That's pretty much what was going on. Never process things, never <laughs> learning through things, never doing the things I needed to know. Then about two weeks later, after talking with my biological mother, she just all of a sudden came down here and I left in the middle of the night, went down to Florida. Yeah. And uh, I was probably about 14, 15 at the time. And uh, while I was down there, I it was a really great experience as far as, you know, a good experience learning that it's not grass is not greener on the other side. <laughs> it's not. It's I, I not learned that it. a very valuable <laughs> thing on that. Yeah. My dad had a lot of structure. My dad had a lot of discipline. He had a lot of those are the things that a child needs growing up yeah. really in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And I took that for advantage, but I learned that when I got down there, when I get down there, my mom's handing me cigarettes, she's getting me drunk and we're doing all these crazy things. And it was just chaos. There was no yeah. order. There was no nothing. So I stayed down there probably about six, seven months, and ended up coming back. And, uh, when I got back to Arkansas, um, my little brother, Nathan was going through a lot of problems. I really felt bad for leaving him because, you know, he always looked up to me and always kind of kept him out of trouble and, you know, stuff like that. But, uh, I ended up getting kicked out of my dad's house uh, when I was about 16 and I was put in the foster care system and I was put in this foster care system and I had a hatred for women because I felt like I was being picked between his wife and me. Yeah. So I, I really uh, viewed women very bad at that point in time. My life. It was a very, very bad time yeah. for me. I'm sure you didn't even recognize that's what you were doing. You no. just, you, and you I know, just looking it, back at that now, you're like, damn, I yeah, really, I really projected no respect for any. Yes, any absolutely. Woman. And I didn't yeah. want to hear anything they had to say. And it was, yeah. I was totally disrespectful all the way through. And, uh, I stayed on the run, man. I just ran away. Uh, they put me in a place called stepping stone in little rock. Yeah. And the anger that I felt that I was being punished and locked up over a woman. Yeah. Set me in a rage. Yeah. And I, I ended up, uh, next morning 
woke up. I was crying myself to sleep, bro. It was pretty rough for me, man. Yeah. And uh, the next morning, I went to take the trash out, volunteered to help take the trash out. I took off, ran. And I stayed on the run. And I'd go to these court dates. And my dad would go to these court dates. And, uh, and you were 16 at this yeah. point? Yeah. Okay. I was on the run, man. I finally, um, I had a friend in Jacksonville that I was staying in his apartment. I was still going to school and I was working at Captain D's. I was yeah. basically doing everything I needed to do to be grown. You know what I mean? Well, anyway, the, the, uh, police started going to school to look for me. So I ended up not going back to school and, you know, I just couldn't see myself being locked up again over this whole situation. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, yeah, Cause you were blaming her for it. Right. <clears throat> so, and it wasn't really. You know, I had a lot. I was a I was a full time job. You know what I'm saying? But I mean, I'm not blaming everything on that. There was everything happened for a reason. But uh, I was very young and confused and and depressed, stressed. I was probably a lot to handle. But um, anyway, I, I left. I'd get caught, and then they would take me to court. And I was with this girl at this time, and I told her, I said, "Listen, if I come out of that courtroom and I nod my head, follow me wherever we go," because I was trying to get emancipated. That's what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. I was like, look, I got a job. I'm going to school. Yeah. And, you know, I knew everything. knew everything. I thought I had yeah. figured out. Yeah. You know, of course, I go in there and they was already preordained. I was going to DHS custody. Yeah. So I was like, hell with this. So yeah. I walked out. I nodded my head at her. We was in Little Rock. She followed me all the way out to Jacksonville at the DHS office there. And uh, I told her, I said, well, they locked me up, put me at this place called Sunshine Shelter which is an all-boys home in Russellville. It was far from being sunshine. Let me just tell you that right yeah. there. And uh, once again, it just further enraged me where I was at, just thinking of my life and where I'm at now because of all the events that's happened. Yeah. So uh, when they took me to court again, I had the girl follow me. We went to Jacksonville. And I Who asked, was this girl that followed you? Uh, this girl named Dina. I was dating her at the time. She had a car. And, How uh, old was she? My age. Okay. And. Uh, Anyway, I, I get there, and I'll, this, these ladies in Jacksonville really genuinely tried to help me, really genuinely, and I expressed that I did not want to go back to this boy's home, yeah. like, you know, and I said, if you could find me a foster care, foster family here in Jacksonville or Little Rock area, somewhere right here, I'll be good. But I told them, if you can't, if you're telling me I'm going back there, I'm running. I told her that straight up. Yeah. All day long, they tried, they tried, they tried, they tried, they tried. Well, they, they couldn't get it. She's like, I'm so sorry. We're going to have to send you back up there, but we're going to continue working on it. I said, all right, okay. can I use the bathroom real quick? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Gone. Jumped in the car, Gone. left again. I'm on the run again. Yeah. So the courts really got tired of me doing this. And yeah. uh, so eventually they got me and got smart and started putting state police escorts on me. So I get sent back to Sunshine Shelter. I'm up there. And in the meantime, I'm talking to my biological mother and she's reaching out to me. She's like, oh, I'm coming to get you. I'm coming to get you. I was like, happy because I'm getting out of here. Yeah. And uh, I had a very vindictive biological mother. She was very vindictive. And she led me to believe that she was coming to get me and coming to get me. And I go to court. She didn't show up. So, man, it devastated me, man. She's an addict, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Because when I was down there, coming from the family, I was my dad was in the military. Very, you know, got his shit together. Very squared away guy. And I go down there. It's like complete chaos. Yeah. And, uh. Looking back now, as I lived in the addiction, I could see there was a lot of cocaine and stuff going on in that yeah. area because they had the same characteristics and everything that we I went through experience later. But 
I think that was her way of, uh, she got mad because I left and came back to Arkansas. And uh, she really was vindictive on that. I think that was her final way just to get back at me. Yeah. And, uh, so anyway, I go there and uh, I remember I get sent back to a sunshine shelter. And uh, this crazy uh, kid that was there ended up, out of no reason, didn't even see it coming, picked me up and slammed me and locked me unconscious. You know what I'm saying? I was 16 years old and still this day I don't know what the hell it was about. You know, it was just a crazy place. Yeah. Finally, I get sent back to court one day, and I leave the courtroom, and I get those same ladies again. And they were like, man, we're going to try everything we can. Because, you know, on paper, bro, you're looking at it. Nobody wanted a fucking 16-year-old kid that's in the system. Right. You know what I'm saying? Even though they didn't know I come from a middle-class family, everything right. was good. Right. All they see on paper. Yeah. And, you know, that's haunted me for my entire life now. Right. Yeah. So, like, even now that I'm on parole. If you Google me, bro, I look like a straight yeah. monster on yeah. paper. Same here. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So yeah. we get judged by that. You know yeah. what I mean? So she finally came to me and she said, listen, would you go to a black foster family? Yeah. And I said, yes, absolutely. Let's do it. I did not want to go back to this place. But yeah. I'm going to tell you what, man, that was the best experience of my life. To this day, bro, I still see them and, and visit with them, which is crazy. It uh, awesome. kind of broadened my horizons on what's going on. I came from a little small country town and. Yeah. In Arkansas, then I'm out here and it was a huge culture shock. Yeah. Uh, you know, going through metal detectors at school now, people smoking crack in bathrooms. I was just like, whoa, you know, whoa. this was crazy. Yeah. But they loved me, they embraced me, and they took me in and uh, I felt the love from them, which is really great. Yeah. And uh, it's, I'll tell you a little crazy story about it. This is how God works, man, in my life. This is how, what he's been doing. The lady, I was there one day and uh, her aunt came in. And her aunt was just staring at me. I thought it was maybe because I'm a white kid. I'm the only white kid in this house. You know, maybe yeah. I didn't think really nothing about it besides that. So the next day she comes over and she hands me this picture. She hands me this picture. I pick it up. And it's me and my little brother sitting on her knee when I was about three or four years old. Oh, wow. So she served with my dad in the military, in the reserves. And she recognized me from that picture. Wow. And I was like, this is a small world, bro. Wow. You know what I mean? So. I love them. The father, uh, have you ever been to Wrightsville prison? No, I haven't been to Wrightsville. Okay. No. Well, well, the foster dad who I had there is a major at Wrightsville oh, Penitentiary. Wow. So it's crazy how all this yeah. intertwined, you know. So you been you were you went to Wrightsville? Well, yes, I yeah. did go to Wrightsville okay. later on down the road. Okay. But uh I've only been to Calico and ooh, Grimes. Ooh, that's the only yeah. two places I ain't been. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but golly. So I left there, man, and uh, when I got 18, I got in a relationship with this girl, and I was with her for eight years, and, man, I felt like my life was going nowhere. Yeah. It was it was going nowhere, and... Uh, so you've lost all hope at this Yeah, man, time, I, yeah. I didn't have it. GED, I didn't have nothing in life, bro, and yeah. I was just barely just trying to stay above water. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, young, and I'll say, I'm not, I'm not going to fully blame my dad, but there was a lot of things in life I didn't learn from my dad that I should have learned. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, maybe I wouldn't even listen if he told me at that point yeah, in time. I was going to say, do you think he, he tried to teach that to you? And he, just there really- is a lot of things he did try to teach me. and But, uh, you know, there's a huge disconnect at that point. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I'm, yeah. like, this is one of the biggest things I tell all the guys in the program. is like, we got to understand that we was we were watching our parents grow up, too. Right. You know what I'm saying? My dad was, was raised by, he had, I think, six sisters or something like that. And. His dad was killed by alcohol when he was 10 years old, drinking, driving, got hit. So oh, he man. never really understood what it was like right. to be a man, right? Right. So, there's a lot of grace I have to give to that. You know what I mean? So I left there, man, and it was uh, September 11th, 2001, bro, that happened. And I remember exactly where I was at when that happened. I was on 
smoke a cigarette, drink coffee, and get ready for work. And I see the planes hit the towers, and I said, right there, this is exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to yeah. join this military. And uh, there was no other option for me at that point I could see to get me out of this funk I was in, get, yeah. do something with my yeah. life. And I thought, this is it, bro. Uncle yeah. Sam is going to save my life. He's going to bring me out of all these problems. He's going to solve all my problems. Because look, yeah. bro, I haven't. I'm 18, 19 at this point, still have not worked through any of my trauma, still haven't learned how to process any yeah. things. You know what I'm saying? So I thought this military is going to save me. Yeah. This is what we're going to do. And give you purpose. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I did what I had to do. I joined the military and, uh, you know, my dad was a medic. He was medical and he was like, son, you need to go. And I'm still in contact with my dad, you know, over here through there. You know what I mean? He was like, uh, well, you need to go medical. son." I was yeah. like, no. Oh. I'm going infantry. Yeah. Uh, I can't see any way a man doing anything in yeah. military besides infantry. You know what I'm saying? That's, <laughs> that's what I wanted. I said I could look myself in the mirror and say, "Well, I'm an area beautification special. I played a clarinet too in the yeah. army." No, I can't do that, bro. <laughs> yeah. I gotta go infantry, man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I joined boot camp, went to basic training, bro. Went to Fort Bend in Georgia. Did that. Uh, I was with, in a relationship at that time. She left me, and it was just a crazy mess with that. And uh, Came back from Iraq, did my AIT, came back, and shortly after that, brother, I was activated to go to Baghdad, Iraq. Wow. So, so it happened pretty fast. Yeah, it was. <clears throat> I went and uh, I joined January 29th of 2002. Yeah. In 2003, we was at combat. We was so at war. So you ended up getting your GED or did you yeah, graduate I got GED, high school? Okay. Got everything done. And, uh, you know, that was my motivation to get me around that. I, I look back, dude, God was preparing me for all this, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it's 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 kind of you know I hit it with a sense of gratitude to see what I went through to prepare me for what I'm doing today. Absolutely, absolutely. You know? So and, and it makes me feel like all those years weren't wasted. Like right. I, you know, like I get to use God had a plan for my life and a purpose for my my suffering and my experiences and 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 so yeah, I, I believe that wholly. I I say this a lot, bro, <laughs> and it's the best way. God did not want us doing anything that we was doing. God right. didn't want to see us in prison. God didn't want to see us strung out. God right. didn't want to see us doing everybody dirty and shady. Yeah. But God can turn a bad situation to the good to carry yeah. the will out. And yeah. I believe that since we have free will of choice, we can do that. So I think God was fully preparing me for the chapter of what I'm doing today. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So, uh, I believe that 100%. So my fiance, well, yeah, uh, girlfriend at the time, she got pregnant with my son. Okay. Right before I left Iraq. Okay. Right after she was pregnant, I found out I got activated to go to Baghdad, Iraq. So I kind of got, I want to say, hustled into the marriage deal yeah. because, uh, you know, I didn't trust her. You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, I did as long as I'm looking at her. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But as soon as I turned my back, it was yeah. buck wild. Yeah. I'm sure you still had some of those. Uh, those, those worries and 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 the trauma from the trauma with the women yes. as a teenager, abandonment issues, yeah, bro, they carried over. trust yeah. issues. Oh man, it was it was it was terrible. Yeah. It was terrible. But I got suckered into it. And I'll tell you what I mean. It was kind of the right thing to do. Uh, I was going to be in Iraq when my son was born, and I didn't want to leave her with nothing. Plus, U.S. Army said they wouldn't give my son any of the money because we weren't married. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So it was kind of like the right thing to do, and uh, yeah. so I did it. And it was the Worst mistake I ever made in my life. Well, one of them. There was many, yeah. but uh, so I'm getting ready to go to Iraq, and uh, you know I trained hard. I loved the guys I was with, and uh, we. I was assigned to my battalion commander's personal security team, 
which basically means I'm just this glorified bodyguard. We escorted him all over Baghdad. You know, he does all these meetings. We're trying to set everything up, trying to get some civilization there and some mayors, and, you know, yeah. trying to get a, a system going in these towns. Yeah. And, uh, man, it was just I, it, the culture, just a different world from leaving I'm here, sure. going over there. I mean, we trained for, I don't know, six months just in their culture. You know yeah. what I'm saying? What not to do, what to do. Still couldn't prepare you for yeah. when we got over and seen what it was actually like. Yeah. And, uh, so I was I was just a baby when I went to Iraq, man. And I get over there, and it was like, it was hot. I remember coming off, you know, I, when things really clicked in my head that this was serious was when I signed that last will and testament. You know what I'm saying? That's when I really knew that, oh, man, this is yeah, there's going to be some serious shit here. You yeah. know I mean, there's a. I'm thinking, gosh, man. And I was excited. I was cocky. I was just fresh out of boot camp. And I was I was the first one. To, yeah, we'll kill them all. We'll do yeah. all this, bro. And, you know, I was, I look back, I was just really stupid. And uh, so when I got into Iraq and we get them off that plane, bro, this is the first time in life. I boarded a plane with two machine guns, <laughs> commercial plane, right? And then uh, got off that plane in Kuwait, bro. And I was handed my magazines right there on the spot. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this it's getting wow. serious here, bro. Yeah. We stayed at a place called Tent City Camp New York in Kuwait, which was beautiful, man. It was it was hot, but it was a just different seeing. I ain't never been yeah. out of Arkansas, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And different get kind of that. mountains over there. Oh, right? dude, it was sand, <laughs> ocean of sand, bro. Yeah. It was it was beautiful. The sun was right here about nine o'clock in the morning, but it was beautiful. It was yeah. huge. Everything was different over there. So we did our time over there, man, and we're getting training in to go to Iraq and uh we get the orders. We're fixing to do a, a convoy into Baghdad, and it was a 36-hour convoy. We stretched out 26 miles. That's how much, how wow. far we were coming in, bro. We had air support coming in. We had, you know, different wow. chalks going in, and that's how big this was. Come, we were replacing the Fourth Infantry Division and, and the guys who were initially there. We were the second wave coming in. Yeah, and uh, man, it was. Uh, we got hit with an RPG round. Hit us coming into Baghdad. Uh, hit a truck. It didn't hit in the trucks, but it's caused a mess. And I was like, man, this, you know, shit's starting to get real serious, you know? And we, we get into, uh, I'll never forget coming into, uh, Kuwait. I mean, Baghdad. And, uh, <laughs> we were assigned to be on this. I think there was a unit coming out of Pennsylvania. It was a communications unit and they didn't have an armored trucks to go with them to escort them in. So they broke us up and we were, their escort coming in, you know, we had a big gun on top and stuff like that. And, uh, well, we was coming into Baghdad as I get into Baghdad bro, and it was like, they stopped all the, they split us up in three different routes, you know, so they didn't want to keep them guessing, you know? So it was like, all right, shit's hit the fan. They're ambushing them up here. We need to make more gun trucks and we need to do this. And I'll tell you, my daddy told me, he said, son, don't ever volunteer for nothing in the army. <laughs> He told me that, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was in a fully up armored brand new Humvee, bro. It had an AC. It was like top of top shelf shit. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And and big thick armored glass. And you know, you felt safe in it. And they when they come asked us, uh, we need you, we need more gun trucks. We need some volunteers to step out and get on these other trucks to have be a show of force. Yeah. And out there and it was that moment, bro. I was just like, I'll do it, man. I'll do it, man. Yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> Yeah. And it was like, 
hey, tell my family I love them if something happens, you know, and it was just, it was crazy. So I volunteered to come out of this fully up armored Hummer, bro. I was a saw gunner, which is a squad automatic weapon. It holds 250 round drums, 5.56, you know, laying down some serious firepower. And uh, so I jump out. I'll never forget, man. I was in this name was Captain Prendergast. The name alone just yeah, says. I can't forget that one. Yeah. <laughs> he's, I'm, he's the commander of this unit I was escorting. And he was like, uh, I went to the lead vehicle. He had a canvas top Humvee, man. There was no armor. It was just, we, we, we went over there naked, bro. We yeah. was in Camp Doha in Kuwait, welding on metal and the shit from the first desert storm. We had no armor. Oh, wow. We had sandbags in the floorboards. You know what I'm saying? Top speed, 22 miles an hour. You know what I'm saying? It was crazy. And uh, so I'm in this Humvee, man. I'm rolling back this this camp stop Hummer so I can lay my my saw on the top. You know, and I, I never forget. I look down, I see this ice chest. I thought, oh, this would be great, man. I'll sit on this ice chest. I can lay down some fire if I need to. He says, ah, uh, Yeah. You wouldn't put all your weight on that ice chest. It's going to be here for a while. I'm going to need it. I was like, you son of a bitch. Yeah. I just come out of my fully up armored Hummer to come help you, and you won't even let me sit on your ice chest? Yeah. So I kicked it. Get it out of the way. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, man, I, when I came into Baghdad, it was one of the saddest things <laughs> i ever seen in my life, bro, because it was right outside of Baghdad. It was a place called Taji, uh, where uh, Camp Cook was at, and it was a huge army post there. It was six miles by six miles wide. I mean. But to get there, bro, it was a landfill. As far as the eyes could see, it was just trash. You see these kids out here naked, and you see these families out here naked, and you can see them building up houses out of this trash, bro. It was very humbling. And, uh, man, it was just so sad to see it. It tears yeah. me up thinking about it. So we drove in, man, and I landed. Uh, we got into Camp Cook. When we pulled in there. We all lined up our vehicles, and uh, we start hearing these explosions come in. <laughs> And they were walking in 13 mortar rounds. They walked in on us. Oh my goodness. And everybody's like, what the hell is that? And I just looked at them and says, welcome home, boys. We're here now. And yeah. what they were doing was they were firing off mortar rounds and these, this on, on the post, man. So it was extreme. We came in just right under fire when we first got there. Of course, it wasn't close to us, but you could see them. And uh, I was like, oh man, this is going to be chaos, bro. So, we stayed in FEMA trailers over in Iraq, and uh, they had concrete barriers built up because they were still building on it when we first. It was just, you know, it just got established. So everywhere you go, you had to have your vest on, your helmet, and your weapon everywhere you went on this post, man. And anytime you heard an explosion, you had to get out of your FEMA trailer. You had to run these concrete barriers they had built up out there. It was insane. It was crazy. And uh, like I said, I come from Arkansas. I'm over here, and this is this is yeah. what my life turned to right there. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so I'm sure that was a little traumatic. Yeah, man, it was yeah. a, just a shock, bro. Yeah. I mean, and this is what my life was going to be, bro. We right. did like two tours over there, right. you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. um, I'm sure, like, because, like, whenever I'm in, like, when I go to prison, when I well, when I went to prison, I don't plan on going back, right, right. But when I when I would get to prison, <clears throat> it would seem like it was forever. Mm -hmm. Like this is it. It's it's you know, and and I forgot when I was going through that that it's everything's just seasonal. Yeah, but like I can imagine thinking like this is my life this is this is what i'm this is where i'm at this is the rest of my life i'll, I'll be honest i was excited yeah i loved it i was okay. an action junkie and yeah. i thought dude this is i, I really part of your addiction too I, right yeah. i had a lot of pride bro i'm doing something 
that was bigger than me. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I, I'm actually doing something, leaving a legacy, man. I'm defending my country. I, all that. You know what I'm saying? I seen George Bush before we went to Iraq. He had me all pumped up and shit. Yeah. We will not let terrorists win. <laughs> we will fight at all costs. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. yeah. And then I get over there. I'm like, where's this son of a bitch yeah. at now, bro? <laughs> yeah. It's 130 fucking degrees yeah. out here. Man. You know what I'm saying? But either here or there. But anyway. Yeah. So, man, I was on this first security team. Uh, and everywhere the colonel went, we went. We traveled with him. Yeah. And we were we provided security for him. There was like every Wednesday, bro, we're on rooftops doing counter sniper operations while he's down there doing meetings. We're checking all the it's urban warfare, bro. It was crazy. Yeah. It's not like in the jungle. This is straight yeah. urban. There's buildings, chaos, you're watching everything. And uh, you know, so it was nerve wracking on that, man. But I was still excited to be, you know, really, I'm gonna be honest with you. Um, it just felt like I was untouchable, bro. Like mm -hmm. I, I felt like nothing, you know, you know, bad shit happens, but I didn't ever feel like it was going to happen to me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, uh, if I would ever want to go back now, it would probably be a completely different, uh, experience now. Cause I would be so cautious. It's un I mean, but right then I didn't know yeah. any better. You know what I mean? Right. So anyway, I was complaining because I was, uh, a turret gunner and I didn't want to be a turret gunner. You know, turret gunner is a top gunner on top of the Humvees and it's got a strap, a literal strap you sit on and, you had a machine gun on top, belt-fed machine gun, and and you pulled security. But your job was to pull, provide security for people on the ground, and you had to stay with that vehicle. So if we got stopped somewhere and he had to get out and walk in these crowds, mm -hmm. I had to stay in the vehicle, bro. And you're just hyper hyper vigilant, yeah. looking at everything. You know what I mean? But I wanted to be a dismount, bro. I wanted to be where the action was. So I complained, man. I complained and I complained, and um, finally we got a new guy transferred to our squad, and. Uh, he knew how bad I wanted to do it, and he volunteered, took my spot. Yeah. So I thought, man, this is going to be great, bro. I'm, I'm not going to be dismount. And, uh, <clears throat> well, things were going great, man. I started joining a lot, whole lot more. Uh, April 24, 2004, uh, they walked in three mortar rounds. We had three soldiers killed. I mean, one was reading a Bible, and a mortar round landed on top of him. You know what I'm saying? That, wow. was, on April, that was on a Saturday, April 24th. That's really when reality really started creeping in at that point. You know what I mean? And uh, the next morning was on a Sunday, April 25th, 2004. We're rolling in Baghdad. We're still doing what they call right seat rides, which basically means that you're mimicking whatever, whoever was there before us. We're trying to learn the routes. I mean, it was chaos over there because everything was barricaded. We put, we owned the roads, man. We yeah. would go one way, the wrong way, run people off the roads. I mean, it was just intense. And, but, you had trouble navigating your way through Iraq and they had what these call these blue force trackers, which was phenomenal. We're talking about 2004 here, bro. And they yeah. had technology that would have up to date, real live and lifetime satellite imagery of what's going on behind this building right here. You know what I'm saying? But you could call for fire missions off this thing and have artillery. Hit. I mean, it was very sophisticated. You know, yeah. just, you know what I mean? Yeah. Sophisticated. And, uh, so I'm in, the, I was driving this day and cause we would, rotate one day you'd be dismount one day you'd be a driver and i'm driving and uh my buddy who volunteered took my spot was in the humvee ahead of me and uh we were lost bro and uh the third time we pressed that crash site um this hugest fucking bomb i ever seen in my life went off huge and uh it was the explosion Went up about a hundred feet in the air, bro. It was that big. 
It was a it was a one five five round at actual steel ball bearings, and they had it anchored on the ditch where it was kind of up like this. When it blew up, it blew up and out, and just shredded this Humvee, bro. I mean, just shredded it. It picked my Humber up three four feet off the ground, man. I landed on the ground. I was in shock, and it was flames. It was uh, dirt and and uh. I, I, I froze. My team leader was like, go. I remember yelling me, go. So I drive through. It was four Hummers, bro, going in this. And uh, what we was trained to do is the, the initial Humvee that took the blast, the one behind it, blow through the kill zone, and then we immediately get out and we start finding this trigger man. Well, we, we learned that finding a trigger man was like catching a crackhead. Shit just don't happen. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So. I remember stopping, jumping out of the Humvee, and I took a knee, bro, and I'm just scared. To, I can't even, scared is not even the word for it. You know what I'm saying? I was, this was a fucked up time in my life right here. And I'm looking, and it was a four-lane highway, bro, and I'm seeing all these Iraqis on this fence, and they were swaying this thing. About 34 of them coming. They were trying to sway this fence down. I thought, oh, my gosh, man. I'm cussing. I mean, a million cuss words, bro. I, I was just scared to death. I hit this knee, man. I'm looking. I'm looking, keeping my eye on these guys over here, and I'm thinking, man, if they break this fence down, we're we're fixing to be in the shit, you know. Yeah. And we only we had four Hummers, now we have three. I don't know what's going on up there because that Humvee is kind of way up there. And I look in this field, bro. I see right off this road. It's a four lane highway, and I see this Iraqi sitting on his knees, man, with his Grim Reaper blade cutting this grass. And I'm thinking to myself, this fucking bomb just went off, bro, and you're just out there getting this grass like nothing happened. But that was the mentality of these folks over here. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I, I couldn't understand that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like over here, kids are throwing snowballs at each other. Over there, they're throwing fucking grenades, bro. And it yeah. was crazy. And uh, so I, I remember pointing my M4 at him. I was on the knee, and I had that red dot on him. Man, I was getting ready to pull that trigger on him. And the major comes down the line. He says, don't you pull that trigger unless you positively identified the trigger man. And I said, well, I can't. Positively, I don't know if he did or not. So I backed off on him pulling the trigger, so I didn't shoot him. So I'm sitting there, and about that time, uh, the major comes back down the line again, and he says, I need a CLS. I need a CLS. Well, they had so many combat medics over there that was spread so thin, bro, that they were never there when you needed them. So they, what they did was they would make you a CLS, which stands for Combat Lifesaver, and they would sign one to every fire team. So basically what that means is I'm not a medic, but I prepare you to see a medic. So like I'll put your guts back in. We'll put splints back in. We'll give you IVs. We'll do whatever it is we need to do to prepare you to hold you down until we get some help for you. So when they called for that combat lifesaver, bro, I was like, all right, I'm here. I jumped in the truck. I pulled up on that Humvee, man. When I pulled up on this Humvee, hey, bro, it was intense. It was chaos. You heard screams. It was, it was, it was crazy, man. I jumped out. I got my weapon, I grabbed my CLS bag, and I start going to this Humvee, bro. One of the guys that was in the passenger side, which took the impact of the blast, you know what I'm saying? He had his arm up in the window like this, and the steel ball bearing came through, hit his hand, and both his fingers were just hanging. Oh, my gosh. And, bro, he was calm as day, calm as day. He looked at me, held his arm up, and he said, wrap it. It wigged <laughs> me out, bro, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So I wrapped his hand up. We set him on the curb, man. I go back in to the Humvee, and it's demolished. looks like Swiss cheese, bro. And this was one of those fully up-armored Humvees. 
Okay. Yeah. I'm in a canvas top Humvee <clears throat> with sandbags in a floorboard and an up armor kit. It, it was it was a joke, but this was a, one of those brand new up armored Humvees. It destroyed it like it was a tin can, man. You know what I mean? And uh, <clears throat> the driver shrapnel came in, hit more metal. The ball bearings came in, caused shrapnel, and it just dude, it was shredded everything in the Humvee. He took shrapnel that went under his vest, like right under his blade, shoulder blade right here. And he would not allow us to pull that vest off because it took this action, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had to cut his vest right here, which was no easy task because it was Kevlar. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We got that patched open, got him out, patched him up. He was screaming bloody murder, but I'll never forget the screams on that, man. So we pulled him out. We set him on the curb. I go back in the Humvee. And I'm looking at it. It was behind the passenger seat. There was a guy there, and his window was up. The only thing that saved his life was his window was up. The armor was this thick, and he had ball bearings stuck in the glass. And, bro, he was in so much shock. You know what I'm saying? He was just staring out this glass. And I was yelling his name I, about four or five times bro, before he finally looked over at me, and I got him to get out of the Humvee. You know, later I asked him what was going on, and he said all he could think about was his kids. You know what I mean? So it was pretty intense. Yeah. So the guy in the back behind the driver's seat, uh, he took shrapnel and it hit him all in his face. His forehead had metal shrapnel all in his face, bro. So we pulled him out and we set him on the curb. And I go back in. It was my buddy Kenneth Melton who was in the turret gunner position, and uh, we had to pick him up off the strap through the top of the Humvee. We turned him on his back, laid him, and we dropped him on the hood, and then we dropped him on the ground, and we tried to resuscitate him. And bro, there was so much blood; it was into, it was crazy. Um, later, found out that the concussion from the blast broke his neck. You know that's how big it was. And uh, we kept trying to resuscitate him, bro. We just, I just, we couldn't take no for an answer. And uh, finally, they grabbed us and said, "It's too late. We gotta go." Grab him, and uh, you know, you see Hollywood movies; they usually throw a grenade in it and leave it. You know. Yeah. Well, that's not what they do anymore. But there's a, a deal called a quick reaction force, uh, QRF, who was on standby. And everybody has to go through this rotation once a month. And you, basically, your job is to, in case shit like this happens, you're heading to the spot quick, fast, in a hurry. Yeah. So QRF was supposed to be coming. We were told to get all the sensitive items out of the Humvee. That's ammo. That's food. That's the Blue Force tracker. That's anything that, that, that would be in the hands of the enemy we can't, they can't have. We ripped it out. And uh, we buddy carried my buddy Kenneth Melton and put him in the backseat of my Humvee. And uh, while we were sitting there, I'll never forget. You want to talk about adrenaline? You want to talk about some crazy times right here? This Blue Force tractor was in this Humvee, and this my buddy, Ryan Hammett. I don't know to say how he did it. Ripped this thing out with his bare hands. No tools. Just ripped it out. And I remember just seeing him throwing it. Oh, it just threw about 20 feet down the road. I was like... How the hell did he just get this? But that's the adrenaline pumping at yeah. this point, you know? So we get everything out, and we have to get to an aid station, bro, because we get wounded. You know, we get we got one KIA, and uh, so we jump in the Humvee, and we start rolling out. And your uh, rifle's coming to get that Humvee. We go to this place called Modder's Monument, and we pull into this place, and there was literally, they told us at the gate, there's no aid station here. You guys got to have to back back out turn back around and go to the green zone. In order to do that, we had to pass the crash site again, bro. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, it was, dude, it, it, I, I can't explain to you what 
mentally I, where I was at at this time. Yeah. So I got my team leader. I got me. I'm driving. I got my buddy Christopher Davis in the back seat, and I got my dead buddy in the back. He's laying over, and he's basically sitting on his legs. And uh, so we bats back out, and we're going. And as we, like I told you about the concrete barriers and everything, right? So it was like a maze. So it was a four-lane highway, bro. And as we get there, we had to make a U to get down this way to go to the green zone. Well, when we got there, that Humvee was still there, and they had stopped traffic. Four cars in a row, and they had raised the hood up on this, lit it on fire, and they were up there praising all out, doing all this crazy stuff on top of some V. And just the the rage we got from that was pretty tough, bro. Yo, so I, the first time V just started laying down suppressive fire on these guys, you know? Hit every windshield, hit every person that was there. And uh, he kind of pulled off to the side, and he was just steadily laying down rounds. I was the second Humvee, and as I'm pulling around, my buddy Chris Davis in the back, he's also laying down rounds through the window at these people. They're running, man. They're, they're gone. They're scattering. So now I pull around this maze, and I'm the lead Humvee. And the, the Humvee behind me, I'll never forget his name is Pappy. The oldest damn E4 in the U.S. Army. He had a 240 Bravo and a saw. One's a 7.62, one's a 5.56 rounds. And, bro, he's laying down both rounds, hitting these dudes. He comes in behind me, and then they back up, and they get behind them. So we're hit three hundred deep, we're rolling. And, bro, I'm driving, and I'm scared to fucking death now because I don't know where the hell I'm going. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The Blue Force Tracker, which is our GPS, was already destroyed. So what we're having to do now is the major who is behind us, the third vehicle back, he's talking to talk tactical operations center. They're telling him where to go. Then he's relaying it. He's got two, two headphones in his ear. He gets where we got to go. What turn we got to make. He really relays it to my team leader and my team leader has to relay it to me all in real time, bro. Yeah. I was scared yeah. to death, man. Yeah. So I didn't know. Hell, I can't even follow Siri when she's telling me what directions to take. It's intense. Yeah. I cannot tell you how scared I was yeah, at this time. I can but only dude, imagine. When, I'm, when you're lead Humber, your job is to get the fuck out of yeah. this area of operations, yeah. bro, and go get somewhere. And I panicked, bro. I was in straight anxiety. Was I, I couldn't even imagine it, man. So as we're driving, I'm screaming, where, where am I going? Where am I going? He's waiting to hear it on the radio, and he tells me, turn right, bro. And we turn. When I made this right-hand turn, it was like a. It was a uh, market area. They didn't have gas stations over there, no Kroger's, nothing like that. Yeah. It was all outdoor markets. Yeah. And uh, as I made this right-hand turn, dude, I seen this dude come off the rooftop of the AK-47 start, start dumping around. And I said, gun, gun, gun! And it was on and popping from there. And uh, like I said, man, I'm in a camp stop Humvee. Yeah. They, what they were doing was, was they had planned an ambush for the QRF team to come get that Hummer. They were not expecting us to come back so quick. And come around. So I pulled on this road, man, and it was intense. Uh, gunfire. They're hitting the Humvees. I'm just waiting for a round to come in and hit one of us on this canvas stop Hummer. We're in full flesh firefight at this point. And there was thousands of people. I wouldn't say that. Probably hundreds of people on both sides of the streets. You know what I mean? And uh, I'm ramming these cars, bro. I'm just 
bam, bam, clearing this area of operations to get this the hell up out of this path, bro. And it, uh, I'm sitting there, and I, it was like everything was going so fast, but it was so slow. You know what I'm saying? And, and I remember looking over at my team leader. He's hanging out of the Humvee, man. And you see these dudes falling off these rooftops like old Western movies. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I got my M4 out the window. I'm on three-round burst, dude. I'm laying down rounds, scared to death. I'm hitting into a crowd. A lot of people got shot that didn't deserve to be shot. Bro, I was scared to death, man. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I was asked questions later type yeah. shit. Yeah. I got my buddy in the back seat, man, and that we're, we're going there. There's a street and there's buildings, right? And uh, they're hitting, they're jumping up these rooftops. It's, that's where all of them hang out at, man, is these rooftops, man. And they're just laying down rounds, man. And I remember seeing my uh, team, that, I didn't see him, but he had this up-armored kit, and it's got a gap like this that's from the back where it connects to the canvas, and it's an opening. He just sticks this damn saw, 250-round drum, and lets it go. He's spraying back and forth the building. Back forth, you know, as we're hit every one of those rounds. I, I, I just, I don't know if you ever been in a vehicle or somewhere close around a small, small room or if when a gun goes off, loud, bro, loud, it's, yeah. it's out of control. Yeah. Times that by three plus this automatic machine gun behind us going off. Yeah. Right. It was intense, man. Yeah. And then the, the rounds, the brass, I don't know if you've ever been burnt by uh, a, a shell, a, a shell yeah. that comes out of brass. Yeah. It was coming back, hitting me in my helmet and burning the shit out of my neck. And I'm laying down rounds, hitting cars, and this brass is burning the hell of my neck. I remember leaning my helmet back, bro. Bing, 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 and just hearing that brass ring off my helmet. I'll never forget it. It was intense. Yeah. And uh, I hit a car, man, and it jackknifed. And we came to a stop. And I'm panicking, bro, because we got to get that. Yeah. They're depending on me to get the hell out of here. Yeah. And about that time, it was about, I don't know, about eight feet away from me, if not even that far. It was a white Isuzu truck, man. He has this AK with a classical stock. He went and picked it up, bro. When he picked it up, I picked my round up and shot him with a three-round burst. He went door, shoulder, neck, and he slumped over. When he slumped over, bro, he had a 10-year-old kid in the front seat. Oh, my gosh. Bro. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, I was, that haunted me for a long time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I hit the uh, reverse button, backed up, pulled around it. We got out of that area of operations, bro. It was, you know, none of us got shot, which is crazy. I don't understand how that happened. But um, we pulled up to the green zone. We're there, and they were already waiting with us for stretchers. And this is what they used to do over there, bro. They would stage an ambush on us, right? They would stage this ambush. They would hit us. Uh, and then they wouldn't film any of that. But they would film us laying down fires and all America would see over here is us just wreaking havoc in these towns over here, man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They weren't getting the full story. Well, I think it was like 109 killed, seven children that was killed out of this little excursion that we went through right there. And bro, it couldn't have been no more than 30, 45 seconds, man. That's how fast it was. <sighs> but it, it probably was longer than that, but it felt like an hour. You know what I mean? So we get out of there, man. And dude, it's just, everything is coming in. All these emotions are coming in, bro. And uh, I'm looking at all the blood in the floorboard of my back seat of my Humvee, man. When we got him out of there, it was just, it was intense, man. And uh, we went and paid our final respects to him, uh, me and my buddy. Uh, I'll never forget the, the doctor that was in there. It was a U.S. Army who was a Muslim doctor. And I had so much hatred for him. Like, how the fuck could you be Muslim 
Yeah. When these motherfuckers are out here killing us, you know what yeah. I'm saying? I was very young and confused and really and understand. it on their God. Yeah. Their power. Yeah, man. And, I, I, yeah. I didn't understand all that. I just had yeah. straight hatred for these people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He was supposed to be on my team, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I could really drive you away from a higher power. Yeah. You know, and then in, in recovery, we look for that, for our understanding of our own God to deliver us from the, the addiction and the suffering. And I can only imagine going through that trauma and not even wanting to accept that there's a higher power. I will say this, man, there was a lot of events and a lot of things happened to me in Iraq that I know God is real. Yeah. I got baptized in sandbags in Kuwait before I went to Iraq. And, uh, I, I just, there was a lot of events that there's no other explanation besides God got me out of there. You yeah. know what I mean? So after that was done, man, uh, they said it was on the CNN news, Baghdad massacre. I mean, this is just what they did. And I'll never forget, you know, I, back then in, in those times, I was not in touch with my feelings. You heard about my past. I had a trouble processing things. I had a trouble expressing myself. Yeah. Now they're telling us that combat stress team is flying in. We had to sit around this big Donald Trump oval desk, man. And we had to sit there and we had to give our name, rank, social security number, what happened. Well, bro, I'm not in any type of situation to be talking about my feelings or something like this. I was, I was really upset about the whole situation, you know? So anyway, I'm worried now that we're fixing to get locked up for wrongful killing. Cause I will say right now, I mean, I I will tell you right now, disclaimer, I'll deny it if it ever happened, but, um, (laughs) I was shooting people, bro, that didn't have any weapons on them. I was scared to death. You know what I'm saying? And you know, that haunts me to this day. Yeah. That does too. So, uh, Anyway, so we was worried about that. That basically, they were wrong. They were locking people up for wrongful deaths over there. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And so we quarterbacked our story, man. Got it straight. You know what I mean? So we went in there and did that. So uh, one of the good things I'll say about that is people who grew up with trauma and grew up with uh, events like that didn't know how to process. We have the incredible defense mechanism called suppressing shit. Yeah. And blocking it out, acting yeah. like it never happened. Yeah. And I don't know to this day how I was able to do that. But I also tell you another valuable thing my dad said before I left. He said, son, you're going to go to combat. You're going to come back and you're going to think everybody's changed. But in reality, it's going to be you that's changed. It never really sank in until I got back and understood what he meant. So through the tour, we was there. We had some more guys get killed through IEDs and stuff like that. And uh, I think we'd lost four, four out of that tour. And um, back home, also, I'm having a lot of drama going with my wife. Yep. You know, I didn't even cross the pond, bro. She went on a hoe tour, currently coming to a neighborhood near you. You know what I'm saying? You know the Jody story. Spent all my money, was doing the most out there. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I'm 10,000 miles away, bro. And, you know, my first Father's Day, I called home and I have another dude answer the phone, proceeded to tell me, never call back again on the phone I'm paying for 10,000 miles away, bro. You know what I'm saying? I, I went through a lot of shit with this, bro. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Not also juggling the combat I'm going yeah. through. You know what I mean? So <clears throat> I got sent home before the rest of my guys did because she abandoned my child. And, uh, sure. That was, tough. bro, it was in, it was insane, man. You know, yeah. I did I didn't know what the hell was going on, man. But I will say this. When I got back, I was in no position to be full-time mom and dad yeah. at all, period. You already know my upbringing. I really didn't know what it was like to be a dad. I had no yeah. idea what it was like to be a dad. And, mom. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? For that matter. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, 
I got came home, got custody of him, did everything I was supposed to do, man, and then my world started falling apart. Then it started it started crashing, and that's when I was alone. I remember the the silence screaming the truth to me, bro. You know, and and how trying to process this it. And you know, you go from a hyper vigilant, crazy atmosphere, kicking in fucking doors and exploding IEDs, firefights, and shit like yeah. that, and then you come home and it's just like this. Yeah. What the fuck's going on, man? It was it was hard for me to adjust. Sure. And the best thing I, I, I will describe this as is I came home and I was chasing ghosts, bro. And what I meant by that was I was trying to get back to the person I was before I went to Iraq. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Going to work every day, paying my bills, being with the same woman. I didn't know who that person was anymore. And the further I tried to get back to that, the further I got lost. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So, uh, man, the VA was there but i didn't know anything about the va uh they weren't really up front with all this shit you know i don't think the state of arkansas was ready for the influx of soldiers coming back from combat and the problems that was coming with it and i don't think they knew how to handle it you know what i'm saying so it was my commanding officer from iraq by this time i i had got around the wrong people and started using meth and uh when I realized what the meth was, it was helping me disconnect. Yeah. It was helping me um, sensitize me to my feelings. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was helping me, bro. And any time I thought about my brother dying, because he volunteered, took my spot, bro. You know what I'm saying? He volunteered, took my spot. and He was killed. That's a lot to carry. Bro. That's a lot to carry. Father of three, good man. Uh, You know, it it was a lot for me. And then to see his family and then to, and just, and just to talk with him, and then they're asking me, what happened? What happened? And I just couldn't tell them, man. Yeah. I couldn't, I had no words for them. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And it was just, it was a bad time in my life, bro. And every time I thought about that, I I just got high and I just sensitized it. Yeah. And I just got deeper and deeper and deeper into it. Man. Yeah. The next thing you know, it, uh, it turned into cooking meth. Now I'm cooking meth. Um, uh, things are getting out of control there. And, uh, my commanding officer reached out to my mom. Uh, a woman who, when I got kicked out, kind of looked took took me in, and kind of took after me. She's been there through prison, through Iraq, through everything. So she's my mom, you know. Yeah, this is your foster mom. No, this is a, a person I lived by. I okay. have many moms in my life. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Few, many mother figures I yeah. looked up to, but uh, this one has always consistently been there for me. It's, you know, still this day been there for me. Yeah. And uh, anyway, uh, he called her and said, "Hey, where's Michael at?" She's like, "I don't know." She's like, "Well." If you see him, you tell him he needs to take his ass to the VA hospital. If not, if I see him, I'll put him in jail because that's how bad I've gotten. Now I'm homeless now. I'm strung out. And, uh, you know, I just, I, dude, it's a dark path. I went down a completely dark path. Yeah. And uh, I was doing a cook one night, bro, and fell asleep. Ernest and Hydra's cook one night. And uh, the dude I was cooking with ended up sticking a needle in my arm for the first time. And man, when I got that taste, it was over yeah. with. There was yeah. like, I've been wasting dope for years. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I and know. So that drove me. You know, if you've been on the needle, you know exactly where that takes you to, yeah. bro. And uh, man, I was, it was a, such a bad time in my life, bro. And I was destroying so many lives and I was didn't have any care, remorse, or anything that was going on in my life at that time. Then uh, I started going to the VA, bro. Started trying to get some help, but it, it was by then it was too late. I was already too deep into it. I'd rather, much rather, self medicate 
than it was to go talk about my feelings, yeah. talk about the trauma. Yeah. My huge problem, Brian, was my pride. My pride was, it was stopping me, man, from so much when I was younger because I couldn't see myself coming back from combat, bro, and standing in front of somebody who's never been to Iraq, right. probably never even served. Right. And I'm probably younger than me, right? And I'm sitting here uh, complaining about something that happened to me in Iraq, bro. It just wasn't in me. I couldn't see myself doing that. I voluntarily signed up. I chose to go infantry. I knowing full and well what this job was going to entail. And then for me to come home and just sit here and cry to somebody about it, yeah. it, bro, it's not in me. So instead of doing that, I'd rather go out and get high and do it. I know how to handle this. Mm -hmm. I know how to get this. Mm -hmm. You know, that it goes back to, I say this all the time, that my addiction is, is demonic stuff, bro. It was straight demonic stuff. And, it, you know, the devil doesn't come at you with red horns and a pitchfork. He comes at you with all your wants and desires. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of those wants and desires for me was is to feel love. Yeah. Feel liked, yeah. feel approved from everybody. What got me that? That sack of dope got me that. Yeah, that attention got me that. Yeah, it made me feel valued. <laughs> it made me feel like I was important, bro. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I was missing as a child. It bled into my adult life, bro. You know what I'm saying? So that that right there, I knew what was happening to me. My addiction, bro. It was, I was bad. I was getting nowhere. I was, you know, sent me further into my addiction was every time I thought about Kenneth Melton, man. Hmm. this guy did this and here I am pissing my life away in addiction, bro. Yeah. So more guilt. Yeah. And it's just added yeah. on to that. And yeah. it's real easy to get caught in that victimization mindset, yeah. bro. It was, it was, I was trapped. This was yeah. my prison right here. Yeah. So I could get clean, man. I got clean, went to rehab, stay clean 10 months, man. But as soon as I got back out there, as soon as those anniversary dates, those triggers come up, bro, I was too weak. I went back out and got high right. again, bro. Right. They they put you on these medications and they say take this take that I'm, bro I came out with sixteen medications yeah. from the VA bro you know what I'm saying I was like yeah. a walking zombie yeah but you know those take time you know those take time to get in that that shot of dope was instantaneous yeah, medication bro yeah. you know what I mean so uh, I did that man for so many years battled that you know I didn't think they would lock my punk ass up but uh, they sure made a believer out of me and they yeah. yeah I went down the first time with sixteen felonies a large bitch offender first time down and it was. <sighs> A criminal intent to manufacture, it was violent charges, it was, you know, so many things, and they can yeah. hurry up, got my ass off the streets. Yeah. I went to President 08, and uh, I went on a, you know, I tell everybody, I did two tours in combat and did three tours in prison, bro. You know what I'm saying? I went out, did the most. So, in prison, did that four and a half years, man. I thought that would be enough to straighten me up, and, you know, I knew. I, I found out real quick, probably as you have too, that you're looking around in prison, you're like, I really don't fucking belong here. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. What am I doing here, yeah. bro? I'm I'm just sleeping next to a real life murderous yeah. rapist. rapist. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I was in there with a blue light rapist, bro. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I was yeah. like, check, please. Yeah. I don't I learned yeah. my lesson. I'm ready to get out of here, man. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So the worst of the worst were there, man. But there was also yeah. some good people down there, yeah. bro. You I'll know what I'm saying? I forget having that realization. Yeah. Like, I'm fucking better than this place. Yeah, what man. am I doing here? Absolutely. Yeah. So the only thing it learned, you know, I think the initial shock of going to prison was that once you got there, you know how to do it. Like I say right now, I don't want to go back to prison. Right. But I'm not fucked up by going back yeah. either. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's a difference there. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, anyway, we, we was, I got out. First time I got out, man, I was doing good. Uh, got went to college. I was in college. First time in my life, bro. I got full custody of my kid coming out of prison, bro, with 16 felonies. Yeah. I got my own apartment. I got my own car. I'm like, man, yeah. this is it. I'm doing yeah. something with my life, man. 
this is the problem, bro. Yeah. I, I didn't have this under control. Right. And, uh, I ended up following week, man. And, and, you know, I, when I link back, I self-reflection is huge for me in recovery mm-hmm. because that's where we learn everything from, bro. Mm-hmm. You know, we never learn from our mistakes. We aren't thinking anything through. Mm-hmm. We're just acting on impulse. Suppressing it and it. And yeah, and, man. And say, oh, it's all good now. Today, I can look back at that moment in time in my life and see where I relapsed before I actually fucking relapsed. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It was right here, mentally. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I call it acting on an emotion, bro. And, uh, you know, you could get drunk and be sick to death, praying and throwing up on that toilet, bro, saying, I will never drink again yeah. and with your whole heart mean yeah. everything about that yeah next day we're getting drunk again yeah that's acting on our emotion bro yeah, you know absolutely. what i'm saying and i was caught up in a lot of that you know what yeah. i'm saying so i ended up relapsing fell off again and you know i did my son so bad because i just couldn't get off the addiction yeah. bro. and um he was living with me uh and i found out his mother uh died from an overdose you know <sighs> So he was about nine years old and he was a mama's boy, straight true and through. And uh, so she died of an overdose. And I was like, gosh, man, I feel so bad for my son, bro. And I just could not battle my demons to be the man I needed to be for my son at that time. I just couldn't do it. I was too far gone. You know, that needle had full attention of me. Mm -hmm. And and Mm -hmm. so, and um, I ended up trying to get him some therapy and get him some help. And, um, while you were in active addiction, uh, I was in active addiction, bro, because I knew it was bad for him, but he was sexually molested. You know what I'm saying? So I had him in this, I didn't want him to, you know, just to bleed off into his life. So I I, I had him in a place getting some help and that was bad when his mom died. So we was able to talk to him while he was there and, you know, yeah. so, uh, kept getting in more trouble, man. I got caught again with a simultaneous charge. Uh, ended up beating that simultaneous, but still got went to prison on the dope charge. And uh, shoot, the second time I came out, bro, I was out the gate by eight and the spoon by noon. You know what I'm saying? That quick. Yeah. And uh, man, I was rolling to the wheels fall off. And, you know, I look back, bro, and it's like the every time I got busted and went back in it, I got deeper. I got deeper. Yeah. I got deeper. And I got deeper. Yeah. Same here. And uh, yeah, we, we've, everyone can experience that. Yeah. I understand that. And uh, the last time I got busted, man, it was. I got busted 197 grams of meth in, in Cabot. I was set up. Go big or go home, huh? No. Well, <laughs> I just dropped off two pounds before that happened. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, which is a blessing in itself, bro, because, you know, they try to get me with drug trafficking. And, you know, the state of Arkansas, you have to have 200 grams or more to be considered a drug trafficker. I had 197 grams, bro. You know what I'm saying? Or, you know, I'd probably still be sitting in prison. You know what I mean? So, I got busted and, uh, that was starting to be the real turning point for me, man. Was that that time right there? Because I was tired of the life I was living. I was, I was, I was walking in place, man, and actually going backwards. And I got tired of living, but I had no understanding of how to get out of it. It, it for me in my life, an example, it takes something drastic for me to get away from something. Yeah. Albert Einstein said it best: yeah. "You cannot solve a problem in the same mindset which the problem began." Yeah, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that was my problem. Yeah. So, um, me, I didn't care whether I lived or died, bro. I was that just, right. I was gun ho. I was a beast on these streets, bro. I was, did not care. I was a monster of doing crazy things. I didn't care whether I lived or died, man. Yeah. You know, so, but well, when I got, you already experienced almost dying yeah. over there in your tours, yeah. it was just like, 
this ain't shit over here. I had you know. no, I, I had no desire to even live, man. And yeah. uh, it's a miracle that I'm alive today from the crazy things I've done. But uh, I remember just uh, when I got busted last time and the girl I was with at the time, great, loved her kid. She always on my ass, quit selling drugs, quit selling drugs. I'm like, look, you don't got to worry about it. If we ever get busted, I'm going to take the charges. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And in my mind. With morals. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously, dude. And and that's that's where I'm at. You know what I'm saying? I was fortunate enough to be uh, brought into the game by the old school. You know what I mean? And they had some morals and values they had in the dope game, which is a crazy thing to say, but it exists. They're there. You know what I'm saying? It's true. um, Found that in common with almost everybody I've had on the show. Yeah. Is that we all had some type of morals and values that we lived by. And, you know, it's just... It's just it is what it is. Bad for business, man. Yeah. And, you know, there was a lot of things in there. But, you know, uh, so when they took her kid, man, you know, they, they took her kid from her. And I'll tell you what's crazy. When I called her and said, listen, I'm going to jail. She was at work. I had just cooked a batch of dope. And it was in the shed in the backyard. She raced home, grabbed that meth lab, grabbed all the, all the stuff she could find in the house, and took it to her brother's house right down the road before the the detectives get there because they were trying to get the warrant to go in the house. But they were under my name. You know what I'm saying? They didn't even bust me at the house, bro, but they were trying to get in the house. So as they were trying to get this warrant, she had done cleaned the house out. So uh, when they did get there, of course, you're not going to find like, everything. You know, right. we, were, we were full-blown right, craziness. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they ended up coming in and finding some stuff. They took her kid from D- and put her in DHS. And that right there, bro, hit me. Oh, in the gut, man, because it was the first time I could actually see, truly see how my actions were affecting the people around yeah. me. And you and, knew what that felt like. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> man, I, I could, she, oh man, she hated me so much and it was well-deserved, you know, and, uh, I took all the charges, bro. I, you know, I'll do this. And if anyone has ever had a kid take a DHS, you know, the hoops and everything you got to jump through to oh, get yeah. that kid back was just, yeah. it's unreal. When I sit here and think about it, a lot of people who ain't never lived this life would say something like, how can you just give up on your kids, man? I just mm-hmm. don't see you doing that. Well, I'm telling you, the hoops you've got to jump through all while battling your own addiction yeah. and the shame and the guilt and the remorse, and it just kept you in that craziness. Yeah. It's it's a wonder how anybody gets their kids yeah. back. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, anyway, she did it, man. And it was crazy because the day I got busted, they forced her to go to, you know, she had to go to rehab, do 30 days in rehab. <clears throat> And, bro, I was I was going to take her back. She would follow me right back in that fire. You know what I'm saying? And uh, the day she got out of rehab, I picked her up. was the day I got busted. That's God right there. Yeah. That was all God. And uh, so they recognized my car driving through Cabot. You know, the, the Lono County, the drug force, drug force, task force did. And uh, they swooped up and got me, got me out the streets quick. And uh, July 20th, 2018 was the day I went to jail. That was my clean day. And bro, I was in there. And I remember hitting my knees and just praying to God, God, I cannot do this. And one thing where ties the infantry soldiers never surrender. I had to surrender yeah. fully. So I'm sure that was difficult. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. just, uh, I've had to swallow my pride, bro. I had to learn, uh, I don't have this under control because everything I tried to for control went to shit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my best thinking got me where I'm at today. I got to yeah. try something different, man. So I remember, I remember hitting my knees and praying to God. I was like, God, I don't know however you could use me, but however you could use me, please do it. Yeah. But little did I know, looking back now, God was preparing me for this. You know yeah. what I mean? And it, it took that drastic measure of getting my ass off the streets. You know, I'm 
prison's a very necessary purpose. I, I believe in it. It serves a purpose. I did my time. You know, you do the crime, do the time. I believe in it. You know what I'm saying? But it can be used as a good learning tool as yeah. well. I think God sometimes is, you know, telling us things, but when we refuse to listen, be yeah. still and know, you know, that know that voice, bro. He, he'll sit us down and get yeah. our attention. And that's what happened to me. And so I'm there in, in prison this time. I'm sitting there doing this time. And, you know, I done said everything on the sun. I done lied. I done, uh, you know, like mm-hmm. jailhouse talk. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I decided, I come to the conclusion, I was not going to do that this time. Mm-hmm. I said one time what my plans were, and I never talked about it again, bro. It's time to let them actually yep. do the talking from there on out. Yeah. And you said you said it one time. Did you, you told somebody? Yeah. Or was that just telling yourself? No, I told one person, this yep. is what I'm doing, and that's it. I didn't say nothing else about because I done lied to her yeah. and said everything on the sun, bro. And I, I just frankly was embarrassed to even say yeah. it anymore. You know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. uh, it's time to put action yeah, into it. It's time said, to it's time to yeah. let my work, my action do the talking, man. Yeah. So I did my time, bro. Got I went to jail, and uh, that last prison experience for me, man, was uh, I got out right before I went to court. Two weeks before I was going to court to get sentenced to prison, and I was did a ninety day sanction. And uh, it got pushed back till January. So I think that was a test, bro, because I, I stayed out another five, six months before I went back to court. And I stayed clean. I didn't touch Terrible. anything. I'd, I'd start doing, you know. And I, I honestly believe that that promise I made to God right there. And I think, because, dude, this, that happens to be the best prison sentence I ever did was that last one. You know what I'm saying? It was the biggest I ever got busted with, but it was the best sentence I ever went. Yeah. And I think, really, it was that promise I made to God and getting out and doing the things I needed to do to stay clean. And I wasn't just saying what I needed to say to get out of jail right. or get out of some kind of trouble I was in. Right. I actually put some action behind it. And uh, when I got to prison, bro, I didn't even do my full 60 days whole squad. You know what I'm saying? Never has that happened. That you know what I'm saying? Happens. And I got yeah. pulled into a, a program. The guy, I'll never, his name is Travis Farmer. Travis Farmer, bro. He was a uh, kind of a mentor. I looked in there. He was uh, in there for I think he did 18, 20 years in prison for a murder charge. But everybody kept telling me, hey, man, there's this program called Think Legacy. You need to get into it. Yeah. You need to get into it. And go, I was like, well, who do I ask? Yeah. And they were like, man, there's going to be this big white girl that comes down there. you coming out of Chow Hall. Hit her up on it. She come out of Chow Hall. I come out of seen her. I start talking to her about it. She's like, well, there's 60 people ahead of you. And I was like, well. Okay, so what you're saying is there's probably not a chance that I'm going to get in here. I said, like, okay, I respect that. She was like, but there is a program at Pine Bluff that you might want. It's for veterans. Fill out, send me a uh, request in the mail, and uh, we'll see what we can do for that. But I had already filled out my application and put it in the mail before I even talked to her. You know what I'm saying? And then when I find out there's 60 people ahead of me, I'm like, oh, well, this ain't going to happen. Yeah, totally you know what I'm saying? But yeah. I sent her that thing about going to this veterans program at Pine Bluff. and. Three days later, I was moved to the Think Legacy program. I mean, this was God, God, bro. Yeah. He pulled me out of that. And it was the jungle back here in the, on South Hall. You know what I'm saying? It, it, there were race wars dumping off the windows getting yeah. busted out. It was jumping. You yeah. know what I mean? And I'm like, man, I'm getting too old for this shit, bro. I, you know, the first time I went down there, you know, all the crazy things I seen then. And yeah, I got in this Think Legacy program, did that, man, got blessed, went to 1B, was horse barn, did all that. And um, while I'm working horse barn, a transporter named Nathan Rice. He he was a jailer when I was at, at Lono County Jail, and he's now transport. He's down there, and I'm down there at the front gates with the horses. They're come turning in for whole squad. You know how you take the horses, we take them back to the mm-hmm. stables. And I see Nathan Rice pull up, man. I start talking to him, man, and he was like, "Yeah, we're getting bullshitting." And he says, 
Man, they started this PAC program at the local kind of sheriff's office. I'm like, what the hell is that? It's appears the chief of collaborative treatment, man. It's an alternative sensor for drugs, people doing drugs. I'm like, well, why the hell they couldn't do that shit when I was there? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, anyway, uh, I said to myself, that's exactly what I want to do when I get out of here. But I had no idea what that looked like at all. Right. So I just did my time, man. I got goals. I'm getting goals. I'm doing, I'm getting things in the back of my head, man. I'm just, I'm giving it to God. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. What's going to happen? And uh, so anyway, I get out of prison. I knew this was the problem. Mm-hmm. So I left literally one institution, went to the other. I immediately checked myself into the VA mm-hmm. PTSD program inpatient. This is the third time I've taken it. But what was different about this time was I was going to get transparent and lay it all out there. Yeah. Because that's I, key. That was, bro, yeah. that was my problem, man. I went yeah. by there and I had so much pride. I'm in here. I don't feel like talking to these yeah. folks. You know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to go through the notions. But that's not how this shit works, man. You got to put in, you're going to get out what you put in. Yeah, absolutely. So I get in there, bro, and I just broke down and started crying. And it's the first time I'm not a big crier. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, uh, I laid it out there, man. It was the biggest burden lifted off my shoulders ever in my life, man. So, I think it was a combination of a lot of things, man. I've I've done NA, I've done AA, I've done everything you can think of. And I, out of respect for those organizations, I never gave it 100% to see if it would actually work. So mm-hmm. I'll say that. But I'll say the only thing that stopped me from sticking a needle in my neck five or six times a day was God. So it was literally the last thing I tried, but the first thing that worked. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I just maintained that. You know what yeah. I mean? So, so you say that, that that is your pathway? Yeah, I, I would say. I'm I'm for everything. I'm for whatever. Get somebody clean. Yeah. But for me, it was God. That, that yeah. was the only thing that I could see to stop me from sticking new my neck. Yeah. Five, six times a day, bro. So uh, <clears throat> I got out of that, went to the VA, got out. And uh, this was my problem. I lost my mission and purpose in life. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I lost it. And we were just discussing how easy it is to get stuck in that victimization mindset, bro. Yeah. I got 26 felonies. I've been to prison three times, bro. I literally went from hometown hero to zero overnight. Yeah. And I thought this was what my life's going to be. It's never going to be anything. Right. But I, I have a, I truly believe with everything in me that anybody who survives what we've been through. Yeah. On the other side of that, it's going to be filled with empathy, compassion, yeah. and understanding for those in the trenches with the struggle. Yeah. And we are, have a call to serve. Yeah, you know absolutely. Saying? But I had no idea what that looked like. Right. You know what I'm saying? Or where I could get right. in at, you know? So I kept trying to my buddies I was in combat with. His name's Michael Brooks. He's a hell of a dude. And I, I recommend you doing a podcast with him because okay. he was hit with an IED in Iraq. And he was a full-time soldier, squared away, was probably going to be a career soldier. Got hit with that IED on his third tour, second tour he did over there. And uh, got sent to Fort Sam Houston in Texas. And, you know, he got hit with this ID. He had a lot of TBIs. He had a lot of damage. And they pumped him up with all these opiates. And they kept him on them. And then when they sent him back home, re- medically retired him. He first had a lot of depression from that because now his life's over yeah. with. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Purpose is gone. Yeah. And yeah. Then he gets sent back home. And then they pull the opiates <clears throat> off of him. What's that going to do? It's going to turn into illicit street drugs at yeah, that point. Yeah, absolutely. So he had he had went down this dark path, bro, and, and, and did that. And he was at that point I was at. He didn't care whether he lived or died. Yeah. And he got into the heroin, and he got into all that. He finally uh, got to a point in his life where he was ready to take his own life. 
And he was in an abandoned house in Badnam, bro, and he did a shot of dope so big, and he woke up frozen to the floor and didn't know what was going on. Next thing you know, he's in the VA hospital, and while he was there, he seen a lot of people talking the talk, but wasn't really nobody walking a walk on veteran suicide. You know, they're doing 22 push-ups a day and all that's good, but what are we doing? Right. Well, you know what I'm saying? There's 22 veterans a day losing their life to this. Right. So uh, he finally decided to start an organization called We Are the 22. It's an Arkansas State Veteran uh Suicide Intervention Organization. Yeah. They're statewide, bro. <clears throat> and uh, I have all these people reach out to me. Man, you need to get in this. We are 22. You need to get in this. So I'd asked him a couple times. He was no, no. And I can't blame him. Statistically speaking, I get out of prison. I do good for a while. And then, bam, I do the goofy. And I'm back, back action, going back to prison. Yeah. You know what I mean? So why would he stick his neck out for me? You know what I'm saying? Right. I, I get that. Even though I served in combat with him, he wanted the best for me. But he just didn't want to, you know, jeopardize what he had going for yeah. that. Finally, man, he ended up calling me one day, and and we talked, and he felt, well, talking to him now, he was like, I felt that hunger and that passion you had in your voice. I knew you was ready. You know what I mean? So he took a chance on me, went to the board uh, of We Are 22, and and got them all to sign on and agreed to allow me to come in with all my felonies, which you can't have felonies to be in this organization, bro. And they gave me a shot. And, bro, I never looked back. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah. I, that was my mission and purpose at that point. Yeah. Connecting to these people who's been in a struggle, who's at their lowest point in their life. And it means so much to me because, bro, these veterans coming back, I don't want to see them go down the same road I did. Yeah. So I got involved in this, and, man, I took it on full head. And uh, I went on 16 responses my first year. I was just a monster out there. I was going all over the state. Yeah. You know, we get body armor, and we get 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. We're, bro, we're going in. We're going to meet you where you're at. We're going to try to bring you back, and we're going to try to talk you down to this crisis. And then we have an MOU with the VA, Memorandum of Understanding, where we can take that veteran straight to the VA and get him into a program without the bullshit red tape bureaucracy that comes yeah. with it. I believe in it. Anything I believe in, I get behind 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I was like that in my addiction. I was like that now. I'm either yeah. all the way in or not at all. Same here. Yeah. And uh, so Sarah Staley <laughs> from Lono County. Oh, back up real quick. Hear me telling you, I was in prison. I had, this is my goal. I want to do this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, I went to the jail a couple of times to try to get in with Sheriff, but I knew I had a lot. I had a lot to, I had to prove. Yeah, you know that what that mean? jacket was tough. Yeah, yeah bro. Yeah. And um, every time I went to the sheriff's office, bro, I got denied. I got turned around. I never even got the opportunity to speak to the sheriff. And I was like, well, God, I don't know. If this door's not meant for me. I'll just take the hint. I'll move around. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because I've been up here multiple times to try to see him. So I'd kind of just put that on the back burner. It's like, you know, I guess this is not what was in my, my deck of cards here. So I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. Well, Sheriff Staley seen this post. They made me a responder of the month. Made this nice post on me, dude. And uh, it got a lot of headway, a lot of traction. And it was one of the proudest things I could have, bro, because I've been able to achieve this. You know, I'm clean now. I'm doing, I'm actually making a difference. I'm doing yeah. something. Sheriff Staley saw it. And uh, Sheriff Staley reached out to me and said, hey, let's have lunch. And I was like, Wow, this is odd. You know, the sheriff's reaching out to me. Says, yeah. I said, okay, when? He says, how fast can you get here? I was like, fast as the law allows. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'll get there. You know what I mean? 
Well, I'm figuring back in my mind, he just wants to talk about this We Are the 22 deal because we work with law enforcement, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe he wants to you know, tie in with that. So I'm getting ready, in my mind, to do a presentation with that. Yeah. I meet up with him with this, and I'm, I'm pulling everything out. I'm getting ready to talk to him about it. He says, Michael, that's all. We'll talk about that later. He says, you were one of the biggest meth dealers in Lono County. They're going to listen to you before they listen to me. I want you to come help run this back program. Right. I was like, yeah. There's God, man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I was like, sign me up, yeah. coach. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this is one of the biggest things I get out of this. I tell people all the time, bro. Um, I trust a dirty gutter butt needle junkie who's working a program in recovery hmm. that I do any taxpaying citizen who pays the taxes and ain't never been to jail. Yeah. And I'm gonna tell you why. Before I went to jail, I was selling dope to the chief deputy of Lono County. Not directly, indirectly through somebody else, but I knew it was going to him, right? Never said nothing about it. What, what, what was I going to do? Who's going to believe me? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I went to prison and I came back. Now it says in the Bible, everything in the dark will come to light, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I didn't know any of this, but when I first got out and I was trying to get <clears throat> into the sheriff, talk to the sheriff, he would never speak with me or he's always never there or something, whatever they told me. Brett Franks was running the PAC program at that point in time. I was at the VA. And, bro, and I'll tell you how this how God works, man. It's like everything was preparing me for this, bro. I got out of prison. I knew I had had enough. I made that promise to God, right? And then I go, get out, go straight to the VA, and I got transparent. I laid it all out there. I cried about it. I talked about it. And, bro, it was like this huge burden lifted off yeah. my shoulders, man. And I, I could talk about it now without having to go put one in me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, so Brett Franks asked me to come up here and tell your story. I was like, oh, yeah, man, let's do it. So I go up there and tell my story. And while I was there, I seen two detectives that busted me. They were like, man, they were proud of me. You know what I'm saying? They wanted to take a picture with me. So they took a picture with me. They posted it on the website with Sheriff's Day. He gets furious. <laughs> he's fucking furious, bro, because he's been told I'm still selling dope. And I was like, well, you need to tell them to update their snitch list, bro, because I've been out the game for a minute. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But they're still telling me. And it's the hardest thing to convince somebody that I'm not doing something yeah. I've been to prison with three yeah. times for. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So anyway, long story short, what, what happened was the person who was telling them I was selling dope was happened to be the same person I was selling dope to. He was keeping me out of that fucking jail, bro, because he didn't want this secret coming out. Yeah. Bro, I was like, 30 fucking cops, bro. You yeah. know, this was just a huge, I couldn't believe it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, Sheriff brought me in. I'm working with Duke Quit. You know what I'm saying? He, he ended up quitting. Is it his guilt? He, he quit. And, yeah. you know, I, and, and in passing, I, I told the sheriff one day, I said, man, you know, I used to interact with him. He looked at me, and it's like you seen a light bulb go off in his head, bro. Everything made sense. Everything started making sense. That was yeah. the motherfucker that was telling me I was selling dope. He got mad at me because I never told him. I'm like, come on, Sheriff. Yeah. Bro, I got 26 felonies, man. Who are you going to believe? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. Plus, it didn't matter. It was years ago. I never sold it to him directly. Yeah. It was all, it's all hearsay, but I knew it was going to him. But yeah. why would I even bring that up? You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, that's why I say I trust somebody who's been in the trenches and yeah. working a program before any do yeah. anybody in this that ever been to jail. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because our program is honesty. Yeah. With ourselves. With our higher power and with somebody else, that's how that's how this shit works. Just like uh, combat, man. Yeah, you know what I'm saying I, I don't. I trust 
like the draft, man. I was not a big fan of the draft, and I'll tell you why. Because I don't want to be in a foxhole with a motherfucker who did, was forced to go there. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I want to be in somebody who's in there, yeah. wants to be there, and ready to do it. Yeah. Right? I don't trust nobody. Somebody who's never been in the struggle doesn't know what it's like to yeah. do the crazy things we did for yeah. our addiction. Yeah. I, I, I have a hard time relating to you as yeah. far as what you've been experienced doing. Because, you, you know, we can say shit all the time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Until you get put in that position, you don't know what's going to yeah. happen, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, like when I was before I went to Iraq, bro, I was like, I kill this, I kill it. But, bro, since that first bullet fired, bro, it, my feelings changed dramatically. You know what I'm saying? It was yeah, just a crazy experience for me over there. You know what I'm saying? So, I'm very cautious about what I say because we'll never know what we'll do until we get put in that position. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. crazy times on that, man. Yeah. But I, I got out, started working at sheriff's office, bro, and uh, I started battling. Seen a lot of problems I had going on at my household, you know, because I got married. And um, when I'm going through these groups at the jail, and I'm, we're talking about topics, and it was like it was hitting hard. It was hitting home yeah. with me, bro, because I'm dealing with somebody at home is still getting high. Yeah. And uh, it's funny because when you get clean, all these people start thinking you're stupid. Now you don't know what it's like for somebody being high. Yeah. Like, bro, yeah. I wrote a book on this shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, she started drinking, which, you know, I didn't have a problem with her drinking, you know, as long as I wasn't doing meth. And, you know, I never have a problem with drinking. I don't drink. Yeah. And, uh, but then, you know, it started turning on meth and then it started putting a wedge between us, you know what I'm saying? And it started getting toxic. You know what I'm saying? I was like, look, I'm not taking no more charges for nobody else. No. And I know for a fact, if I put a piece of dope on me, I will not stop to hit diagnostic. Yeah. I know that for a fact. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I've seen me do it three times. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, uh, I had to stop all that, man, and it finally I got the courage and I had to leave her. It yeah. was a it was a mistake. It was a choice I had to make. It was the best yeah. choice I ever made because I don't want to go back to prison. I don't want to lose my life again to this. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So that was a big uh, step for me to do. Um, shortly after that, I met my fiance today, who's never done drugs. I'm just God's been preparing me for all these things that's going on, man. I, I finally met a lady now that who's understands me who's very supportive of me who's mm-hmm. been there for me and dude it's just it's phenomenal what's yeah. going on now yeah and um I, I my goal i always say my goal is to be the person i need when i was at my worst bro yeah and yeah. i think if we I can all relate. do that yeah this world would be a so much better place yeah. you know what i'm saying using your past for a purpose using that absolutely. pain for a purpose you know what i'm saying everything happened for a reason bro absolutely and that's i feel how we're going to change this game of addiction yeah, I, I truly believe feel that. Yeah, we're not going to be able to rest that. our way out. You know no. what I'm saying? And uh, one of the greatest joys I have is what we were to discuss before we started this was bridging that gap. Yeah. And that gap between us and law enforcement is yeah. huge, bro. Yeah. And when I'm sitting there and it's, I can't express to you the thoughts and feelings I get to know that I'm working for the county that sent me to prison twice. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting at the same table with the very prosecutors who sent me to prison mm-hmm. advocating for people behind me. Mm-hmm. Bro, it's, it's, that's phenomenal. Yeah. You know, so that's all a God thing, 100%. <clears throat> and uh, just to see these, um, where, I've, where I've been from, where I'm at today, it's, just, it's phenomenal, man. It's, uh, I lost my train of thought there, but we'll get back into it, I guess. But the um, bridging the gap, when I'm, when I'm advocating for somebody, we're starting to process by getting somebody in. You know what I'm saying? And they're like, oh, they'll, they'll never change. They'll be like that. Like, that was yeah. me fucking five yeah. years ago, yeah. bro. Y'all say the same thing about me. You know what same I'm saying? Here. So that's what's yeah. so important about people like us that's in these positions is to be that example to show that recovery is possible. Yeah. Because, you know, 
we have a great work relationship with our prosecutors, man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It, it's so crucial for if someone is in these roles to do this, not only to be the example for people that stuck in their addiction and show them there's a way out, but yeah. for the people that soften these people's hearts in the community yeah. and let them know that, hey, recovery is possible and they can buy into this. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, that, man, it's it's taken off, bro. And I, I feel really strong about it. Yeah, I do too. I do too. You know, you sitting here listening to you talk, you know, what I, I just kind of had like one of those aha moments about the disease of addiction. And like for so long, like I blamed the disease as the drug, you know, like the, the, the meth and the ice and, and the, the Xanax and the alcohol and shit, any drug that, I, that I've ever tried, I, I've always looked at that as my disease, mm-hmm. right? Well, the disease isn't outside. The disease is a mental thing. It's in, it's, it's just, it's in my brain. That's right. It's the way that my brain functions. And, you know, and I can take it away from drugs. I can take it to sex and, and, and food and, and just any type of pleasure that causes me to obsess over that. And Mm -hmm. that obsession is part of that disease. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's, it's sad to, to see people say, you know, I, I just got to get away from the drugs. Well, it's not the drugs that we got to get away from because we get away from that and then we obsess over it and say, oh, man, this is what I'm obsessing over now. And then that starts to ruin us again. Like work can, yeah. Be, yeah, can yeah. become the addiction and that will ruin us if we don't put that recovery first. Like you were just saying, like we had to leave that, leave that your girlfriend or, or fiance, whoever it was. Like I had to do that. And, and, you know, we have to do that. We have to put that recovery. The sacrifices first. you have to make. Yeah. To maintain and, it. and recovery. You know, I went over this the other day with, with the group that I was, I uh, was leading the other day at work. And we, we talk about recovery and there's a lot of guys that I work with that think of recovery as drug addiction or alcoholism. Recovery does not have anything to do with drugs and alcohol. Right. Recovery has everything to do with returning to a, a healthy state of mind, physical, spiritual, mental. And when we think about that, everybody has a chance to recover. One thing I, I, I like when I'm going to dovetail what you're saying there is one thing I hear. I, and I used to say this. I wanted to be the person I was before I started getting high. Yeah. You know I wanted to, like when I said I was chasing ghosts, I was yeah, trying to I become the person analogy. who I was. Yeah. Now I think about it today is I don't want to be that person absolutely because that not. person was about to get fucking high. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Absolutely. And so recovery to me is, is finding out who you are, what your boundaries are, yeah. what you're willing to put up with processing things yeah. and talking about things and, you know, just a, a yeah. different way of thinking. Cause you know, there's recovery is only one thing you got to change. That's yeah. fucking everything, bro. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. so. And that ghost isn't who I am today. Exactly. You know, I wouldn't be who I am today without going through all that suffering and all the all the addiction and the, and the loss and and just the pain. That's right. Like all the, all that all of those experiences has made me a man today. That's right. Like I can literally like I used to avoid brushing my teeth in the mirror because I hated looking at myself. Oof. I used to just brush my teeth in the shower if I even fucking brush my teeth. <laughs> right, right. You know what I'm saying? My hygiene was horrible. Right. But now I, it's it's become priority to to look in the mirror and and look in my eyes, look down into my soul, and fall in love with that person yes. every morning. Yes. I have to do that. You know, people today call me bougie. Yeah, you know what I'm saying they call me bougie all the time, but they don't understand. To me, was there was times that bro, I didn't give a shit what my hygiene looked but like, what anything was. And today, 
I care about me. Yeah. Today, I want to see good. And today, I want somebody to look at me and say, that's what fucking recovery is yeah. doing. Yeah. That's Absolutely. how important it is. I want to be that testimony. That, that's it, bro. Absolutely. And that's, so it's bigger than me at this point. You know what I'm saying? This yeah. is what we're trying to portray to all those yeah. people behind us that's there. That I want to see everybody succeed. Yeah. I want to see them get their life back. I want to see them give them everything God's promised them yeah. and get into this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, yeah, I care about what I look like today. Because yeah. at one time I did, bro. Right. You know, me neither. Me neither. When I go to these peer conferences, are you, are you going this year? Yeah. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Okay, so absolutely. you didn't go, you didn't go, it wasn't last year, but there's going to be yeah. a night at an award ceremony. Yeah. And I call it, uh, it's the Grammys of Recovery, bro. Yeah. And it's so beautiful to yeah. see these people get dressed up just like the Grammys, bro, yeah. and just be out there stunting, yeah. just looking good. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and just to think that half the people I was in addiction with, yeah. bro, we was living out of fucking boxes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. borrowing clothes, wearing clothes for three weeks straight. Yeah. And to see these people making out of that and dressing like they do, it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I'm glad you'll be able to experience that this year and see exactly what I'm talking about, yeah, man. I'm excited. Dude, I'm, I, excited. I'm pumped up about it. I love yeah. it every year. Yeah. So uh, it's yeah. great to see these people do these changes in, in, in the Kirk Lane's vision, bro. You know, I've touched on this. You heard it at the conference, bro. You know, it's, and he was a monster, bro. He was a boogeyman back yeah. in the day. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I remember you saying that. Bro, he wasn't the monster I wanted or what <laughs> right. Jimmy McGill wanted, but he was the monster we needed. Right. You know what I'm saying? And and for someone from the old school veteran police officer as he was to change that mindset to say we need to look at this differently yeah. is phenomenal, bro. Yeah, because is. if it wasn't for Kirk Lane going, traveling out of state and seeing what they're doing over there and bringing that back yeah. and pitching it and selling it yeah. and people buying it, yeah. we wouldn't be doing what Even we're doing now. It. Yeah. Bro, we would not be doing what we're doing now. Yeah. And Jimmy McGill, man, I've known him since I was a kid. You know, my parents used to say, stay the fuck away from him. Yeah. He's, he's bad in the business. You know yeah. And just to see what God has done in his life, bro, is phenomenal. So everything happens for a reason, man. And I believe it 100%. Man. Yeah. Yeah, it's a miracle. Yeah, it's man. a miracle. This whole process is the miracle. Yeah. Of, yeah. Us, of us coming from where where we are, going through the trauma. I mean, you were telling, you, you shared your story. Uh, you know, I can tell that that, that experience over there in your tours, you know, fueled all of it. And, but it really started at a young age mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's, it's beautiful to hear somebody. I mean, everybody there's not, I don't believe that there's one person to ever exist that doesn't enjoy a triumph story. Oh yeah. Doesn't yeah. enjoy that comeback. Yeah. Get the motivation off yeah, that. Yeah. Absolutely. Because it, it, it is encouraging. It is encouraging. I mean, I, I personally, just from hearing that story, motivates me to go harder yeah. in this career yeah. with, with, with helping and advocating and bridging those gaps for people, especially with people like I was to the people that I was terrified of, which was law enforcement and on all these authorities. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, it's, it's a beautiful thing that we're doing and that we will continue to do and reach out. And the only thing that we can do is get better at what we're doing and understanding more of the process. My, my, my deal was, you know, I joined the military cause it was something bigger than me and I wanted to have that legacy of yeah. what my ancestors did fighting for wars in the past, but I'm going to be 100% completely honest with you, bro, that what I'm doing today, I have more value and more honor in what I'm doing today than anything I did in the military. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm, I'm actually seeing what we're doing and it's for Americans. Bro. Yeah. And I, I'm helping struggling people, my people, yeah. I'm helping them, bro. And yeah. that, that to me, I think is God's work. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And it's just, 
is restoring someone back to sanity, man, helping them get on there, be their cheerleaders, be that yep. champion, walk with them, yep. be that motivation, bro. You know, Iraq, I grew up in Iraq, bro. But penitentiary made me a man. Yeah. And what I mean by that is like, it taught me respect. Yeah. It taught me boundaries. It taught me a lot of things I was yeah. never taught. And yeah. the penitentiary was Those made me a man. Values. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. brother. It yeah, made me the there. penitentiary did the same thing for me. You know, I've, I've said, I don't know how many times, you know, the penitentiary was my, was my walking grace. I mean, it, it taught <laughs> me everything like, and then, you know, therefore I still, I believe everybody should have to go and experience the penitentiary Bro. just because of what it did for me being, being locked up in the hole oh. on Christmas and my birthday. You and- too? Well, I thought I was the only one, man. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. I was in the oh brick house, God. man. I was in the brick house. Yeah, at Brickies, and I was farm crew, and uh, they found a stash. Anyway, long story short, uh, some cigarettes got found. Major pulled me in his office. He said, "Springer, talk about these cigarettes." Major, I don't know. Yeah, lock his ass up. Yeah. Forty-five days in the fucking hole, bro, yeah. was something I'll never forget. Never forget. I'm a social butterfly, bro. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? I ain't never met a stranger. Yeah, I like talking to folks. I like intermittent folks. Yeah, bro, you put me in a one man cell yeah. with no AC. Talking through event. Oh, bro. <laughs> that's, bro. Yeah, it's rough. That's, that's hard rough. time right there, yeah, man. We haven't even touched on what the walls look like. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, and hearing ooh. the screams, yeah. people screaming, losing their minds Crying, back there, bro. Yeah. It was torture. It's it was traumatic. chaos. Damn, damn right it was, yeah. bro. Yeah, absolutely. Insane. Yeah. Well, Michael, I really appreciate you coming on the show, man, and 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 just sharing that experience. And, and I really hope that somebody out there hears his testimony and his, his experience and can take something away from that. Um, I just want to take this time to, uh, we're going to put up some resources uh, for you guys. If, if you know somebody suffering or if you are personally suffering, we're going to have a list of resources that you guys can reach out to contact, call uh, somebody. And, and I also want to put out a few mentors, a list of mentors that you guys can call because there are people just like Michael, just like myself, there are plenty of us out there that that care about the suffering addict, mm. about the the veteran that's suffering, that uh, going through that trauma. Uh, even even the women that are out there dealing with DHS, trying to get your kids back, even to the people that haven't had a driver's license in forty plus years, we are here. We can help you get through this struggle and and make it on the other side. We are. We didn't have a magic wand. Nobody come through and and tapped us on the head with a magic wand and said, "You're cured." We work at this shit every day. Every day, and it takes hard work. But you don't have to do it alone. I didn't do it alone. I'm sure you didn't do it alone. There are other people out there that have experienced something that you can relate with, and we are willing to pick up the phone. We are willing to point you in the right direction. And, and we find this to be our purpose in life. So please help us fulfill our purpose mm. and we can help you find yours. But this is, this is what we care about and what, what we love to do. God, God had a, a purpose for our life and this is it. Yeah. So we love you. We thank you for your time and support with the Dirtbag Chronicles. We love you guys. Thank you very much. Thank you.